Geek Nerdery. Player one, press start to play. Welcome to episode number 41 of Graveyard Duck Podcast. With you, as always, my name is Scott. And I'm Wes. Welcome back, Wes. I feel like it's been a while. It it does feel that way. Of course, when we're adults with responsibilities that kind of get in the way sometimes, it kind of, you know, kind of sucks a little bit. But what are you going to do, you know? Go to life, jobs, paychecks, mortgages. All right. Why can't I just get paid to sit home and play video games all the time? You know, I, I got to say, though, I, I live in... You know, I'm I'm aware of this world that we live in, and I'm I'm a grumpy old man. You know, I think that's there's no doubt about that. And you know, I I like Not whatsoever. I like the way things used to be and all of that. But I have started to notice that if you embrace the modern technology a little bit, like life is actually pretty good now. And yeah, nobody's dying of dysentery. Well, that yeah. Um, you know, I think cholera is kind of a thing of the past and you know, polio, not really something I'm scared of. But, um, yeah, you know, just the idea of like, I've got a 3DS, okay, which granted, most of the modern games for the 3DS I have no interest in. As much as I like to bitch about virtual console and how uh, it's not as good as original cartridges, I do love the fact that I've got a you know device that I can slide into my pocket and in the lunchroom at work. I've got a library of like 220 some virtual console games that I can play. Like that's, that's pretty awesome. Right. It is pretty nice. I'll give you that. Yeah. You know, smartphones, as much as I hate them, like I can put, you know, my old favorite TV shows on it and watch TV at lunch too. So it's, 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 it's pretty good. I, th- I think so being an adult, not, not so bad. Except unless you're a cranky old man like yourself. Well, you know, I, I'm trying to find the balance. It's, it's, <laughs> It's there somewhere. I'm just yeah. no. I, I get you. I mean, there's there's times too that like you know we were just talking before we started recording the show, you know, and I'm playing uh, Chrono Trigger, the DS version of my 3DS, and uh, you know it's just one of those things that you think back like you know as I'm playing it, I think back like 20 some years ago that like I'd be playing it, you know, on the Super NES, and that was it, you know, and like. Imagine like a few years down the road, it's like, oh, I remember Chrono Trigger. Yeah, I have to sit in front of the TV and play or whatever. But like, you know, yeah, there's something to say about modern conveniences for, um, you know, portable classics and stuff like that. So, right. You know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I mean, I miss that, you know, excitement of you're at school all day long and all you're thinking about is getting home and playing. And then as soon as you rush in the door, like you just drop all your shit in the hallway and go run to the room and start playing Nintendo like right away. Well, you, and you'll do that. Um, yeah, but it's like, I can't get away with that anymore. I gotta like feed the dog and make dinner and, you know, all the, all those adult things and and making sure you do all the dishes (laughs) or too late. I know you can't like, there's a spot on this dish, Scott. (laughs) Just beating you with the rolling pin. Yeah. You can't fool me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, 
not to get off on a tangent a little bit, but it is kind of nice, the modern convenience of being able to just kind of, you know, reach out onto eBay or the internet or wherever and just get that classic game, you know, that you want to play. And I think about that occasionally where it's like, you know, years ago, if you wanted to play something that, you know, you didn't have, it was much harder to track down a copy, you know, in the early days before the internet, things like that. Uh, so it's just kind of, yeah, it's it's nice. The, the only thing I'll say it, in counter to that is I miss rental stores because, yeah. you know, yeah. that, that was a nice little way for three bucks, four bucks, whatever it was, you could go play a game that you didn't necessarily want to own or didn't know if you wanted to own. Whereas today, the only option for that is virtual console or emulators. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, really? Yeah, which I, just, I don't know. I still just don't feel great about emulating, but and it's um, been like it's been like twenty some years, and a lot of these copyrights have you know kind of expired. And plus, I mean, really, I look at it this way too. It's like you know the games that I'm going to purchase, I'm going into purchasing anyway, whether it be like a digital version from you know the actual company or a cartridge or something like that so you know i don't know it's it's always a gray area and everybody's got their own sort of feelings on it but you know some of these are we're talking games that are you know either licenses have expired or they're never going to get renewed so right you know i don't know there's pros and cons but not that I, i don't mean to say that i would support piracy but you know it's one of those things that if let's say something like mother or earthbound gets released digitally you know and you're you're clamoring for a copy it's worth paying the money to show your support for those future projects to get released you know so i guess i guess the thing is you know if you're going to talk about that stuff i guess put your money where your mouth is if that makes sense yep so i don't know it's weird it's you know it's the kind of arguments that we wouldn't have thought we would have had years ago right yeah exactly so, so I, I think the moral of the story is that there is a happy balance between 2018 and 1991, right? Uh, you know, a little bit, yeah. So speaking of 1991, um, that's what we're really here to talk about tonight. It is? Oh, I thought we were talking about like all the chores that you had to do before you have to do the show. No, 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 no. We're, we're talking video games now. Okay, okay. Well, we'll <laughs> save that for the chore cast. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're continuing our uh, odyssey down the you know life of the NES one year at a time. Made our way up to 1991, and um, yeah, I don't know. It's um, it's getting a little rough here. There's mm. there's still plenty of games out this year, um, but it's thin. And mm. you know, as we were kind of talking after we recorded last episode about what we wanted to do for the challenge and just our own kind of you know, random underrated picks. Like I just didn't feel like there's really a whole lot out here. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, it's tough this year. And, and the interesting thing is, you know, the, the whole idea of doing this kind of year by year uh, cast was we wanted to spotlight some of the games that were overshadowed by the, the big games that everybody was playing. And the thing that I found that was really funny about 1991 is that, I don't think that the games that we're talking about got overshadowed by other NES games. Um, because as I was kind of going through the list, like looking at some games that I was nostalgic for or games that I sought out and played, uh, I've done this every episode and usually I've got, you know, a dozen or so games that were just like, obviously blow you out of the water. I've got six this week hmm. and none of them are, I mean, 
A-list games. They're, like, they're all good, but, you know, I'll run through real quick. Like, the games that I had a, a good time playing when I was a kid and rented and really enjoyed were Double Dragon 3, uh, Metal Storm, Bart versus the Space Mutants, Power Blade, Battletoads, and Ninja Gaiden 3. Mm. And, I mean, they're all good titles, but there's nothing in there that is near the same tier as like, you know, your Zeldas and Mega Man's and Mario's that were obviously st- stealing all the spotlight. Mm. So I think that most of what was going on here in 91 was that people were just starting to lose interest in the NES. Well, you got to look at it too. I mean, from, from a competition standpoint, we're at 1991 where there's a lot more um, going on as far as leaps in technology, as far as video games are concerned. And we're seeing, you know, this is the age where the NES is starting to get a little bit long in the tooth. I mean, you know, we're at 1991 and we've come all the way from 1985. And you have to look at the state of things right now. In 91, you've got not only the NES, you've got uh, the Sega Genesis is out and starting to pick up steam. TurboGrafx is still around. Um, You've got the Game Gear, the Game Boy, the Atari Lynx. You have the Super NES right around the corner. So a lot of it's it's very obvious that a lot of the big titles have started to shift and the big developers are starting to move to the 16-bit era. But there's still a handful of good games here and there. And it's interesting, too, your list of the games that you liked in 91, it's almost completely opposite of the games that I really enjoyed. Like, you, like, you, you like Double Dragon 3. I can't stand Double Dragon 3. Were you playing all the Wisdom Tree games? Was that kind of your thing? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I was a hardcore wisdom tree gamer i'd go into the uh, christian bookstore at the mall and you know demand when uh, exodus journey to the promised land was coming out I'd go in there every day king of uh, kings the early years right right <laughs> you know you know what's interesting about those though is the wisdom tree games is they were unlicensed games so i just always thought and i may have mentioned this before on the show but i even back then i always thought it was just kind of interesting that you know, you have these sort of like Christian themed games that are coming out for the NES, but the companies that are releasing them are kind of doing it like sort of in an underhanded way by not, you know, paying the licensing costs and stuff like that. Like in a way they reverse engineered the games and are releasing them just, you know, kind of like the Tengen games. Mm-hmm. That was kind of weird, but, uh, but yeah, I, Devil Dragon 3 is not one of my favorites, probably because right from the get go, like, I mean, you've got like one life. So if you get killed, you know, it's game over. You have to go all the way back to the beginning. But it's just, compared to the other two, it's just not nearly as good. Yeah, I've only played through it. Like, I've never finished it. And oh, yeah. almost nine, nine times out of ten, I played it. I just got so frustrated that it wasn't even fun. But there was one time that I got lucky and realized that after you beat, I think, like, the second or third stage, you unlock another character. Right. And then... China first, I think, which is... uh the guy with the little hat. Like, I I always thought he had a little bowler hat on. Yeah, and then later you unlock the ninja. And it's like, once you had all of those, you actually have a fighting chance. Yeah, but there's the problem. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I actually got to the point where I had all the characters unlocked once, and huh. it never happened again. <laughs> I, I remember renting it and messing around with the Game Genie to, to kind of get, you know, unlimited health and extra lives and stuff just to kind of see, but um, no, I don't like. I rented a lot of these games and just kind of looking through this list. I mean, obviously, Battletoads is one of the big games of '91, um, so it's hard to dispute that that was, you know, just a huge, huge game. 
Um, and not only on a, on a technical standpoint, I mean, it's, it's barely recognizable as an NES game. I mean, it's, it's coded so well and looks and plays and sounds fantastic, but it's also incredibly challenging, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, I rented that one a lot. I didn't own it until much later, but, um, Let's see what are some of the other ones. Um, we had Dragon Warrior three this year. Um, we had one of them that uh, obviously is one of the bigger ones as far as licensed games. We had GI Joe, uh, the Taxan GI Joe. There were two games. Uh, this one and the Capcom one that came a year later, I think. But uh, I loved the hell out of GI Joe. I mean, I was I was still into the the figures a little bit at this point. You know, kind of on the I guess you could say third generation of GI Joe. Uh, toys and stuff but you know you had like the newer snake eyes and different versions of older characters and stuff but man this game was awesome um one of these days we'll have to do an episode on that one uh, yeah i've actually never played it really oh yeah. man super super good uh gunnack was another one of my favorites that's a really good shooter by compile um who's done um stuff like musha and um a lot of other shooters that you probably recognize uh the Alest series uh, they did Blazing lasers on the turbo graphics and stuff like that. That's a really good technical tour de force uh, for the NES. Uh, one that I owned that was kind of funny. I went back and revisited this game um, this week, but uh, I probably talked about this on the show before. But the Taito version of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Um, I obviously '89 for movies. You had Last Crusade. You had Batman. I mean, you had all these big movies. So. I mean, I, I love the Indiana Jones movies and I jumped at the chance to get Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and I bought it and took it home and you can literally beat that game in probably like 10 minutes if you know what you're doing. <laughs> it's weird. So there's only like, there's only so many levels to the game, right? And it gives you a choice. Um, like in the beginning, do you want to go onto the boat and get the cross of Coronado or do you want to go straight to Venice? And you can choose which way you go. And so if you get on the boat, there's a, um, it's a, a fighting side-scrolling action section, and it's just not good. Um, it, it plays really, the animation's really jerky, the gameplay's really bad. Um, you get to Venice, and it's like a sliding, one of those like sliding puzzles where you have to kind of put the picture of the grail together. Uh, but then from there, you can choose to go to the castle and rescue your father, or you can go straight to the grail and pass the challenges and try to get the grail. So anyway um bought that game played through it in like 20 minutes i was like wow that's it i mean you know back then you couldn't really take a game back or or anything like that i ended up having to sell it at a garage sale down the road when i was selling a bunch of games to get my super nes but um yeah i don't know um kabuki quantum fighter is another one that's kind of interesting i'd like to do a show on that sometime um because it's kind of if you like sunsoft's batman it's kind of very similar to that uh what else there's, I don't know, there's still quite a few. Metal Storm, I only played uh, for the first time a few years ago. I missed it. Oh, when it that was out. a frequent rental for me. Yeah, yeah. I have a buddy that introduced me to this, and it was a, a frequent rental for him as well. And, uh, yeah, that game is fantastic. I, I can't wait to talk more about that later on. But uh, Ninja Gaiden 3, uh, Power Blade, I didn't play until a few years ago. I uh, missed that one. It's really good, though. Yeah, it really is. Uh, but, yeah, there's just... there's. This year, uh, Scat's another good one. Um, that's kind of like uh, Forgotten Worlds, sort of like it's almost like Natsume's version of Forgotten Worlds. If you played that one, um, you got Shatterhand. That's really good. 
Smash TV I rented um, a couple times. Yeah, you could I, actually... I loved the arcade and the Super NES version, but the NES one was a little clunky. I didn't, yeah, I didn't mind it. I mean, at the time, because I didn't have a Super NES yet, so it was a way to still get, like, the Smash TV fix a little bit. Um, what was interesting about that is you could plug two controllers in and hold them vertically. Yeah. And like the uh, the two sticks, which is kind of cool. Um, Star Wars, I rented the hell out of Star Wars. Um, only ever beat it with a Game Genie because that game is super, super tough. Um, yeah, there's this, there, this was the year for me. I remember 91 is sort of the year of rental. You know, these are games that you wouldn't necessarily go out and buy them unless they were probably really cheap, but these were like solid. Solid rental titles. Yeah, and a lot of these were the ones that were showing up on the rental shelves. That's that's definitely true. Yeah, um, yeah, it's stuff that would just come out, and they were just, you know, it was it was a game, and you know, here it is, kind of thing. You know, um, what's funny too is you look at like uh, look at this game Treasure Master, which you know the cover art is like some of the the greatest '80s cover art ever, right? It's got, like you know the '80s kid, and it's got this robot, and there's a shark. Um, but anyway, the, uh, the funny thing about that game was, you know, there was this big contest to try to beat the game. And, uh, at some point, I think it was like sometime in 92, um, MTV had this like secret password and you had to go enter the password in this game to unlock prize world. And you had to try to beat the game and then, um, call this special like 800 number and give them this code to try to win this prize. It was it, like I remember that being sort of this big deal for this really terrible game. Like, hey, if you buy this crappy game, you know maybe you'll win a prize. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Uninvited, you know, that came out. I think uh, you played that for the first time this year. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's just it's just an odd year. Well, of course you got Wally Bear and the No Gang. You know, I can't forget that game. No it's, means no. That's right. I never played it, but I had a friend that worked at. Uh, at the video store in Chile, uh, where I grew up, and uh, we always made fun of this game all the time. It's like, like if he was working, like I'd call him or like stop him, and be like, uh, "Do you have Wally Bear and the No Gang? Uh, can I reserve that?" You know, <laughs> just weird shit like that. You know, um, yeah, I don't know. Just oh, and then uh, you got Zombie Nation as well, which is probably one of the most bizarre games on the NES ever. Well, and this is also, so Zombie Nation was what I was looking at right when you said that. Yeah. It's like, this is the, also the year of covers that if I saw them at the video store, I would never want to rent. Like, <laughs> because... Can you tell me you wouldn't want to rent Zombie Nation based on that cover? It's great. I, I ab- no, I absolutely would not. Or Wampum, or... Um, see, Wampum, I'll give you that. But. Yeah, Wally Bear. I mean, there's just so many of these that are they're not bad in the original Mega Man way. They're bad in the just like the hell is going on. Like even gun knack, like you see these, you know, flying carrots and it was just like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I know. I know, but and stuff. I don't know. Just the kind of thing where it's like, yeah, I don't think this game's going to necessarily be for me. Uh, <laughs> Operation secret storm. Um, it's another just completely bizarre cover mm-hmm. and, Obviously, we've already talked about Princess Tomato and the Salad Kingdom, but I don't remember Operation Secret Storm. I, I'm sure it was out, but that's one of those um, Color Dreams put that out, and I remember like those games either had really small print runs or I didn't really see them that many places. So that one threw me for a loop because I don't remember that one at all. Fantastic Adventure of Dizzy. 
You know what I found out? Speaking of Dizzy, um, that's actually that series. We only ever got like a couple of them here, but um, I think I want to say it's either it might be a UK thing. Um, like it was developed in the UK or something like that, but uh, yeah, it is. Okay, it's uh, Dizzy, the UK's number one video game hero. Like, um, this character goes back all the way to, I want to say, like the ZX Spectrum computers. Um, so it's one of those things that, like, we probably didn't get those games until, you know, right about 91 or so. But uh, I don't mind that one. I think that's actually a pretty decent game. And there was one that was released. Um, the the ROM was released a couple years ago. It was like it was an unreleased Dizzy game on the NES. Huh. I don't know which which one it was exactly, but uh, yeah, I don't mind that game. It's not bad. Yeah. So obviously the the game list here is kind of a mixed bag. Um, there there's some good ones in there. There's some mm-hmm. obvious garbage, and I think that a lot of it really just depends on at least from what I'm hearing of you say versus what I'm you know came up with. I, I think that it really does come down to what games you were renting or playing back then, yeah. because there was no unified list of things that everybody loved, you know, other than, like I said, Battletoads was huge, as we talked about that. I think everybody knew Bart versus the Space Mutants, but most of these other games were either ones that you discovered way, way later because you were distracted at this time, or they were ones that you happened to rent and give a shot, you know, give a fair chance to and turns out that they were really good but nine out of your you know 10 other friends never bothered to rent that so you were the only one so some of it too is also i mean you're you're seeing several sequels in this year that are um you know based on other games that people may or may not have played too though like um adventure island 2 was a huge step up from the first game like if you like the first game um you know Adventure Island 2 plays similar to that, but adds, like, different um, animals. Like, there's, like, a pterodactyl, I think. There's a dinosaur. There's, like, you know, almost, like, kind of vehicles. Um, and a little bit more of a map system and, and structured levels. So, uh, the same with, like, Adventures of Lolo 3, I think. Like, if you like Lolo and Lolo 2, uh, you know, 3 kind of build on that, too. So, right. But, yeah, personal preference, really. And I think, um, you know, it depends on the type of games that, that you were into, you know, if you like the casual um, laid back sort of games, there's some of those are here. There's some of the more hardcore stuff as well. Um, stuff like Batman return of the Joker is a really um, not an easy one to come by. Um, but I think that's probably one that, that some people probably probably dug that, um, that one, the music is super amazing in that one. So where were you in 1991? What, what was your, were you still a big NES person or had you moved on to other systems? Like what were you playing? What were you doing? I was still renting NES. Um, at the time I had, let's see, I probably still had, I had my NES, um, Game Boy, but I didn't really play that too much. Um, I had my Atari Lynx still. I was, I was pretty big into the Lynx. I had quite a few games for that. Um, and then the Super NES was just right around the corner. So um, that was my big thing then is um, we had, like I was kind of saying with Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, we had a uh, a garage sale in like 91, I think it was like in the summer or something. And I remember selling several of my games, like, you know, I boxed them back up and put the manuals in the baggies and all that stuff. And, um, you know, like back then it was like, you couldn't really buy a game secondhand that much or rent them. So like I had about five or six games for sale. I, I think I would put like price tags, like 40, 50 bucks on them, like almost, uh, new price and I sold 
almost all of them. Mm. So um, I used that money then that I had about 200 bucks then. And I used that. We went to Kay's Merchandise in, I think it was probably August when the Super NES came out. And I got the Super NES with uh, Super Mario World that I had bought from uh, selling a bunch of crap at a garage sale. So from that point, then it was more, I was more focused on the Super NES than I was on the NES, which looking back on it now, you know, you look at like price wise, as far as what some of these games are worth now, especially in these later years, because of the low print runs and stuff, it's like, man, I should have stuck around a little bit, but it's different, mm-hmm. you know, back then games were cheap, you know, over time. So you didn't really think about it. They were a little bit more disposable, I guess, without sort of the internet to kind of, you know, back up and reaffirm your memories for those games back then. It just, you know, I think we just had a tendency to want to move on a little bit more. And maybe that was just because of the direction that gaming magazines were kind of pushing us in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There were ads almost every other page in Nintendo Power about what was the Super Nintendo going to be like. I mean, but by this point, a lot of the covers were even starting to to shift over and you know right. talk about Super Nintendo. So, yeah, uh, d- definitely about Game Boy, like Game Boy had taken over you know, about a third of the magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So for me, I, um, like I said, I just got my NES Christmas of 89. So I spent most of <clears throat> 1990 kind of picking up some of the pieces, collecting a few games here and there, which again, at that age, as we've said many times, like you get two, three games a year and you're fortunate. Um, so I kind of picked up, you know, some of the classics, right away was renting like crazy and come 91 you know it was, it was kind of the same boat like I, w- I was i had my game boy at this point i got that i think christmas of 1990 so i was doing a lot of of game boy playing a lot of game rentals um and you know most of the games that i'm looking through on this list like even though these were the ones i remember seeing on the rental shelf this really wasn't what i was renting like i was still more interested in the you know, previous NES games, the 89s and the 90s and even 88s. So these are the ones that were the ones I was seeing, but there's very few games on this list from this year that I've actually devoted any decent time to. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are some that I think there's a few that you would really dig. Um, One of them in particular, I think that would be probably right up your alley is Tombs and Treasure. Okay. Because it's kind of a, it's kind of a hybrid adventure game slash RPG a little bit. Uh, so it's got like some adventure game elements, but then it has some like RPG battle elements to it. I don't know. It's kind of cool, you know, but there's other stuff that I think, you know, you, you would enjoy like GI Joe is really good. Uh, Batman return of the Joker, obviously adventure Island two stuff like that. So there's, that's the one thing I will say about some of these later years as we're kind of going back and playing through some of these, it's fun to discover some of these games you know, that you might have missed, like I was talking about with Metal Storm, you know, I I didn't pay any attention to that game when it was coming out back in the day. I, was, I, I remember the cover with the Nintendo Power and reading about it a little bit, but I never played it until like a few years ago. It's like, oh my God, this game is awesome. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. So. That was one of those moments where I definitely felt proud of myself for picking that up and renting it because uh, my Nintendo Power subscription started, I think, like three issues after that one uh-huh. so i i was not aware of the coverage i had no idea that this game existed okay. i just picked it up blindly as a rental and was like oh my god this is so good and thought i had like discovered gold <laughs> so yeah. i like was telling everybody about this great game and always 
you know, wanting to go rent it just because I was like, oh, like I discovered something nobody else knew about. But um, I say I don't remember seeing it on shelves anywhere. But I don't know. Like I yeah, would, our Schnooks had it. Huh. I I would have seen and been intrigued by the cover art of a uh, you know of, of a smaller like chibi style robot like that. You know, with like that mecha design yep. that were synonymous with the late 80s a little bit but i honestly don't remember seeing that game and maybe that's why i didn't pay any attention to it you know but not till later all right so 91 um you know take it or leave it i guess but um we we should say that there are still a couple of hidden gems in there that we decided we were going to spotlight and talk about this week so um for sure i would say wes you get to kick it off this week and um talk about your pick first sure um, so mine this week is, um, I don't know if I'd really classify it as a gem, so to speak, but um, I feel it's definitely a little on the underappreciated side um, for what it's trying to do. And it's something that, uh, it's a game I discovered a few years ago and uh, have kind of been playing through a little bit here and there. And uh, so my choice is Worm, Journey to the Center of the Earth, uh, which was put out by Asmic Corporation. And this game came out in 1991. Um, it was released in Japan. It was known as Basildur, the underground battle space. And it's just kind of an interesting game because um, it's got a mixture of cinematic storytelling, kind of like Ninja Gaiden, but you know, much less of a budget. Um, but it's got just a, an odd mix of gameplay styles to it. There's um, like you start off, you're in this, um, this vehicle that's kind of a, it's got like a drill on the front of it. Um, and it, the game starts to kind of play like a side-scrolling shooter a little bit, uh, but you can switch between, uh, you know, your your tank can sort of fly like a spaceship, or it can, you know, kind of uh, has treads and can kind of move along the gr- the ground and things like that. Um, but anyway, so after you get through the first level and you have a little cutscene, and then um, you get to a boss fight, and the boss fights are kind of weird because um, it's not like you would normally think. You know, the best way I can describe it is. It kind of looks like it goes into a first-person view, but you're moving a uh, targeting reticle around. So kind of like if you were playing a Zapper game, but playing with a control pad, right? But you have to talk to your crew members because you have these crew members on the ship, and um, you have four different crew members, and you're talking to to kind of determine the weak point of the boss. And the boss only appears like at certain parts. Um, you have to increase. There's this thing called the possibility factor. You have to increase that to 100%, which means basically you have to talk to your crew members a certain number of times. Um, but then the boss will appear, and you have to fire into it, you know, and then it disappears eventually, and you have to kind of build that possibility meter up again. Um, it's just bizarre. It's, it's hard to describe, but it's it's intriguing because of how strange it is as far as a system. Um, but then after, after you fight the boss battles, you go into these um, side-scrolling maze sections, and so the uh, the character that you're playing as um, it's very very synonymous with like your um, late '80s anime. Um, you know, you have sort of your green-haired um, spandex-wearing um, female heroine, I guess, in a way. Um, so you're going through these mazes and trying to you know find keys and unlock doors and things like that. Um, just kind of a bizarre game, but the more that I played it, I was intrigued by it because of you know some of the ideas of, of what it's trying to do. It's trying to do some some different things and mix it up a little bit. So um, not a terribly expensive game to find. I, I think it's um, 
pretty reasonable price-wise. Um, but I think it's interesting enough that um, it's worth a look. Um, you know, just for if you like these styles of games where they're a little bit bizarre, they're a little bit out there, um, you know, I think it's kind of worth a look. So that's my um, pick for a hidden gem would be uh, to the center there. If you can get it for probably, I don't know, about 20 bucks card only. Um, I don't think it's ever been re-released. Obviously, it's, I don't know if Asmic is still around as a company or not. Um, but obviously, it's one, you know, like we talked about in the beginning of the episode, um, you know, emulation is kind of a gray area. But, you know, you could always certainly try it out. And if it's something that you like, you can kind of look at it, look for it a little bit more. But, uh, yeah, I, I kind of appreciate what this game is trying to do. It's not the greatest game ever, but I think it's kind of underappreciated. I don't really see many people talking about it. You know what this game was to me? is Bayou Billy in space. A little bit, yeah. You've got, like, when I started playing it, which I'll admit I had never never played this game before you suggested it for this episode. Mm. Um, yeah, when I, at first, like, when you first said the title, what I was thinking of was, did you ever play any of the worm games for, um, like, DOS or Windows? A worm? Where, yeah, where you're actually little worms and... Um, it's kind of like the old tanks game where yeah, you're a little in college. We played the shit out. Of yeah. And so that, like all the time. So that's what I thought you, that this game was when you first said it. And I'm like, Oh, I'm excited now. I didn't know that this ever came uh, out for NES. It's spelled with a U. So, you know, it's word. Yeah. So yeah. I, I looked at the cover and I'm like, Oh no, nope, this is something different. And I haven't played worms in forever. And I, I know, that's so fun. <laughs> We played the hell out of that in college. I mean, that was a steady diet of like Worms, Goldeneye, Mario Kart, uh, RC Program Two. I mean, yeah, I, I, I never kept up with the series after that. But the first Worms, I have a lot of nostalgia for that game. Let's play Worms next week instead of a nineteen ninety two. Look it up and see if there's like a good just online version of the original game because like, oh. I. I even without like any um, specific enhancements or anything, like if I could just find a, you know, an online versus version of the original Worms, I'd be happy. If anybody knows of that, I will happily sponsor a Graveyard Duck, you know, online community group for that. <laughs> It'd be so awesome. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, sadly, uh, Worm Journey to the Center of the Earth is not in that franchise. Um, but you know, so I, I fired it up just to see what it was all about. And yeah, the first stage I'm like, okay, this doesn't surprise me that Wes picked this. We're playing mm-hmm. a shooter. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and as you're kind of going, I'm like, all right, this is interesting. It's, it's got a little bar up at the top that reminded me of like Gradius where you've got like power ups is how it looks. And, you know, it was like, I forget what it said, like change or drill or something. Mm-hmm. And of course, I didn't read the book, so I didn't have any idea what any of that meant. I'm just right. hitting buttons, and one of them like sure. shoots things. The other did nothing, as far as I could tell. Um, and then, yeah, like you're kind of like you can burrow through some walls. That you can just roll on the ground. Eventually, I hit some button that allowed me to fly. I don't know what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, all right, so this isn't terrible. The enemies are not at all original. They're very bland and. Mm-hmm. you know boring and but you get to shoot in three different directions so that's kind of cool and you know i'm just moving along having a good time and then yeah you get to 
the spot where all of a sudden it stops and it starts, you know, the screen starts shaking and it cuts to this like cinematic and your character's sitting in a spaceship and he looks like, you know, some really badly animated guy with no nose. And <laughs> yeah, he's like, it must be an earthquake. And then it pans over to, yeah, this green haired anime girl. And I'm like, oh, okay, we're somewhere different now. And she's like, we need to go and invest. Oh no, there's like a monster coming. And so now, yeah, you're in like first person shooter mode and you're fighting all these weird things and spinning around and that was crazy, but I somehow managed to survive it thinking like, okay, we'll just go back and forth between these two. Uh Nope. Now I'm the green haired chick walking around in a platformer and kicking bats. And And later on there's uh, I forgot to mention, there's also a couple of overhead shoot 'em up levels too. Uh, Okay. Awesome. I don't know. I, I like that it does, you know, sort of a mixture of several different genres all thrown together. Yeah, it's all over the place. And the other thing is it's it's like very, very story driven. Like I was I was really surprised uh, by two things. One where you were talking about the um, you have to do the like shooter, you know, the first person shooter type fight and you have to talk to the people. Right. And at first I was like, oh, they're just going to like say stupid things that don't mean anything. And then I realized like, oh, no, that's actually like helpful. Like they're giving Uh you hints and increasing your score and you know stuff like that so it's like oh you have to do this yeah a couple of them restore your life points too if you've been yeah i noticed that um and and so it's like that's interesting but then also like as the story progressed and i I went to the side scroller platformer level and she's walking around she's looking for somebody named ziggy that she couldn't find and like he's like laying out behind this broke you know wrecked ship dead and pretty much like you just go down like one level into the left and like he's just right there yeah and then there's like robots and like but i didn't try very hard there's just so much story obviously built into this where it's it very much seemed like okay is this like a well-known like series over in japan that all of this makes sense to them or did somebody just get really really deep into writing a story for a game that nobody's ever going to follow uh, you know, I would say that it's probably, um, I don't think that there was anything else that was, um, this was really based on, but I would guess that it was probably created this way to sort of have this elaborate story to it in the hopes that it would take off, yeah. and, uh, um, you know, turn into a series or a manga or something like that. As far as I can tell, I don't think there was ever anything else, but. I think this was probably this could have been seen as maybe sort of a uh, a starting point, I right. guess. Where if it had done well, I could see that you know you could set this up for a series or something like that. Because yeah, they definitely put some time into this. I mean, just the fact that there's two pages in the instruction book with all of the crew and other characters, and yeah, yeah. you know, down to the point of saying, you know, here's Mike. He's a biologist. There's Professor. Banda, the chief of the lost VZR4 and Moby's father. Like, that's detail. (laughs) Right? Yeah, there's a lot to it. Um, You know, but uh, I don't know. It's just, uh, and the company that, I mean, this was, it was produced by Asmic, but it was actually, it was developed by a company called Sofo. And they mostly did um, a lot of Famicom and um, NES games and some Game Boy games, but. Um, some of the other ones that they did are um, 
like they did Casino Kid and Wall Street Kid, uh, Fish Dude, and uh, <laughs> Dragon Fighter, which we you know talked about a few days ago. Casino Kid too. So, um, Mr. Nuts on the Super NES, you know. But uh, yeah, Worm Journey to the Center of the Earth is like one of their only ones that was sort of completely different from most of their other catalog. You know, is to kind of say, you know, here's here's an epic space opera anime style game you know for fans of of that kind of stuff and i'm i'm a fan of that kind of stuff i like i like 80s era 80s 90s anime and stuff like that and it's you know kind of scratches that itch but uh i don't know i think it's cool i don't think a lot of people really talk about it anymore but it's an interesting game yeah it's it's definitely unique um i i don't know whether i enjoyed it enough to really dig in and play it more but well that's fine i I mean like early on i mean we and that's the other nice thing about the show is like we've got completely different tastes in a lot of games sometimes so in a way it's it's nice to be able to kind of get somebody's opinion on it even if it's not you know if it's not something that somebody's completely like head over heels about you know you can still appreciate some of the the technical things i guess yeah and i and i could see myself giving this another shot later down the road if i'm you know bored and looking for something to play thinking like you know there, there there's enough here that i definitely didn't dig into mm. and it's intriguing enough that it's like all right let's let's play and actually see what's what's here um, yeah and i will you know. tell you that the more that you play this I and mean, it gets really tough um towards some of the the later levels um some of the mazes get really tough as far as like finding the keys and, and stuff like that. So, I mean, it, it does get really challenging, but it's one that, you know, I, I pick up here and there and, and come back to and kind of dig into it. You know, it's, this is a game that I would best describe it as, you know, if you're hanging out on like a Saturday or Sunday afternoon and just want to fire something up and kind of dig into it for an hour or two, uh, this would be that kind of game. Interesting. If that makes sense. Yeah. All right. So, Anything else you want to talk about, Worm, or should we move on? No, I, I think I've said all I need to say, except now I want to go back and play Worms, but <laughs> uh, that's for another day, I guess. Oh, we can wrap up here soon and go find an online version, I guess. Right. Um, but yeah, first, let me go talk about um, my pick for this week, which, you know, I, as I said, as I was going through the list of 91, I just nothing was jumping out. And although there was one cover here that I... I remembered renting and having a very strong memory of the rental. Mm. Um, not necessarily a great memory, but just memorable. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll at least give that a shot because nothing else is jumping out as you know an overlooked game. So I kind of was playing this again just to try to remember like what this game was like. And lo and behold, over the last couple of weeks, I've really, really enjoyed playing through this. Mm-hmm. So I figured, you know, well, there, there it is. Here's my pick. So. Uh, my pick for this week is Captain America and the Avengers. Nice. So this game is is one that actually might be of interest to people now, especially given you know the Marvel Cinematic Universe craze that's out there. Um, but like the the funny anecdote for me when I rented this as a kid was, as I'm sure most people are aware of, in '91. Data East released uh, Captain America and the Avengers arcade game, mm-hmm. which was phenomenal. Oh yeah, and I one escaping <laughs> from the greatest worst voice acting ever. 
And yeah, I played the hell out of that arcade I game. Absolutely. <laughs> America still needs your help. Uh, so many memories. Right? Um, but yeah. Yeah, the Sega Genesis version of that? It well, no, I never owned a Genesis. Oh, um right. It's it's pretty close to the arcade version. Yeah, I had a friend that had it, and I remember playing it, thinking it was really good. So, like, yeah, I mean, I I loved this game. So then, I was at the rental store one day, and I saw Captain America and the Avengers for the NES. I was like, holy shit, I love this game! So I grabbed it and took it home. And you you know that? Can you picture that look on a kid's face when it's like Christmas morning, and they think they're gonna get like a new toy and instead they open like a sweater mm-hmm. like that's kind of how i'm imagining my face looked when i put this right, game right. in for the first time <laughs> because folded up perfectly into the shape of an nes game box right because yeah. yeah this was not that arcade game right um the story is completely different so essentially like it starts out with vision and iron man which the, let me just also say the game is completely misleading because right. that the cover art has the same four characters from the arcade game, Captain yeah, America, yeah. Iron Man, Vision, and Hawkeye. They're all there. Yep. Um, you fire up the game, and the first thing that happens is it shows that Vision and Iron Man have been captured. So all you get to play as is Captain America and Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, that's different. Yeah um then it moves on to this overhead map of the u.s which is a very very reminiscent of bionic commando oh um, yeah absolutely yeah. so if you're familiar with that it's very similar where there's kind of a, a webbed path you know through various cities uh, a couple obstacles are moving around on the map so obviously you've got to select your route carefully and captain america is in one city i think he's down in miami Tampa. Is a Tampa, yeah, um, and Hawkeye is somewhere further east, New York West, New Orleans, or somewhere around there. Um, and so the way the game plays is you can select either of the two, and you basically start in that city, which is just a two D side scrolling platformer. Um, the the as you move through the stage, there's all these little uh, hidden like. Uh, treasure trove kind of things like on the wall that when you hit them it'll drop a little item and most of them drop points some of them drop little crystals which are your xp so like every if you get 100 crystals then your power and health level up um some of them will drop health but then there's one of these boxes somewhere in the stage that drops a power orb that when you pick it up that's kind of the key that unlocks the exit to the stage so you can't leave the stage even though you find the exit until you found that orb first mm-hmm. um so it, it's really just a platformer getting around the stage looking for the exit and trying to gain a little bit of xp along the way and then you leave the stage when you leave then you can connect the dots to the next stage on the map um when you finally get to the point where captain america and hawkeye are in the same city now all of a sudden they'll move around the map together and it adds the option of in the middle of a stage, you can pause it and switch back and forth between them. Mm. Um, The advantage here is that they do both play slightly differently. Um, Captain America is by far better. Um, He's a lot more powerful. Uh, He can jump just a little bit higher. 
he also has a ton of extra moves like he can do a dash um kind of like tackles enemies or like charges through them and damages them as he goes through them yeah, he, like the field bash from right uh, um versus capcom stuff from later but yeah. you can also do a thing where you can also do a thing where when you jump if you press down you kind of like shield surf so you can yeah. land land on spikes or land on water without taking damage um he can hang on bars that you know are kind of on walls like he's very mobile and also very powerful his only uh handicap is that he throws a shield but he can only throw it straight ahead yeah. uh he can't throw it while ducking he can't throw it up. angled you can block though from like you hold up you hold your shield above your head right 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 so you can block projectiles and stuff right uh so then hawkeye really the only thing he has going for him is he can shoot his bow you know normally he can shoot it while ducking he can also shoot it up or diagonally up so he's got a little bit more mobility in terms of his attack but it's way weaker than the shield um and just all in all he's just not near as good um but it's nice to have both and and, and as you get to the later stages there's definitely times where you kind of need both of them um mm-hmm. but well, it's nice too between having you know, sort of a melee character with some range as Captain America, and then you have like a straight uh, ranged attack character with Hawkeye. Right, right. This game reminds me a lot of G.I. Joe. Does it? Yeah. It's um, some of the layouts and the switching and stuff like that. Um, you know, if you like if you like Captain America, I think you'd like G.I. Joe. Okay. Better. So, you know, it, it's a pretty fun game all in all. Um, as a kid, I never made it terribly far into it. Uh, this time through, I did actually, I just finished uh, the game actually this afternoon. Um, and, you know, th- there are definitely some things that you need to be aware of what, if you're going to play through it, such as when you get toward the end, like it's very obvious that the the end goal is somewhere in the north north northwest coast. Um, and like, I think you get to Boise and you get the option of you can either go to like Las Vegas or over to california somewhere or up to the like canada coast and it's very obvious that the final boss is up north so if you never go to the portland or las vegas well i learned much later after the fact that if you go down to vegas you can get a ship which lets you move around the map without having to go through each single stage because that's the one annoying part about this game is like if one of your characters dies they're not out of the game they get air quotes captured sure and so they go yeah exactly um so it shows you what stage they're in but they're inactive and you have to go back to that stage and find basically like in those little weapon caches you'll find your their initials and that unlocks them to play again well toward the second half of the game when you're over on the west coast of the map and one of them dies and they're back in new orleans it's like you basically have to play through the entire game again to backtrack to that stage because oh, when, yeah. when you complete a city, it doesn't clear it. Like to to go back through it, you have to play the whole stage again, and that's really obnoxious, right? So yeah, I it, it takes a lot of patience to be willing to deal with that kind of nonsense. Mm. Um, but then yeah, obviously getting the jet makes it a lot easier but it's still just like what a pain in the ass <laughs> you know sure yeah I, I mean i could see definitely if you 
if you didn't really know about that, then it it probably you know docks a few points off of the review score a little bit. But well, well, it's not like you can go get the jet right away because that's one of the very last cities that you can even go to. So it's okay. You get it at the very end, but it doesn't really help you up until that point. So I, I don't know. It's not. It 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 doesn't save everything. Um, but yeah, I, I, all in all, I think it's a really fun game. Um, once you kind of figure out what it is that you're trying to do and kind of figure it out, it's 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 a lot of fun. Um, I I will say that I'm going to dock it a couple of points because it's incredibly repetitive. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like of all the cities, there's really only three different cities, and they just kind of rename them. But yeah, and it kind of looked like with um, a couple of them, like they all had the like real similar waterfalls and it's the same map. The rooms are in the same place. Like they try to get tricky on some of them and everything's dark. Yeah. So you can't see where the little weapon things are, but if you've played one of those stages already and know where they are, they're in the same place. So it's, it's not that original. It repeats a lot of stuff, a lot of stages, you know, like I said, the, the layouts are exactly the same. Um, you end up fighting the same couple of bosses many, many times. Um, there's, I th- you, ca- you fight like three or four in a row. I forget who all they are, but I'm looking at the instruction manual now, and it's like Dynamite Napalm and Fireman and something else. But it's you fight that sequence of bosses several times. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, not, not a ton of originality for a lot of it, but yeah still pretty fun for what it is yeah and i actually i i never played this one um until you mentioned it because um i just like like yeah i mean i like the arcade game but i i seemed to think at the time that like this one was like wasn't nearly gonna be nearly as good i guess and but playing it now it it reminds me a lot of gi joe um it is repetitive at times but once i sort of accepted that and kind of turn my brain off and enjoy it a little bit. I had some fun with it. I mean, you know, it's not the greatest game ever, but um, you know, there there are worse licensed superhero games out there. I would say, and uh, this one is not too bad. Yeah. So just don't expect that arcade game. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, for a for an NES game, you know, sort of a platformer, almost like a not really a maze game, I guess, but like. You know, one where you have to kind of find the hidden key to progress, kind of thing. Um, you know, it it could have been a, a lot worse, and it's not super great, but um, it was fun for what it was. You know, it, it's not the Uncanny X Men. Oh, thank God! <laughs> so it's it's been worse. It, two years ago, it was worse. So right, right. Uh, yeah. and this was this was the same year as Wolverine, which I never played that. I remember renting that once too, and I, I don't remember how good it was, but I just remember that it was so much better than X Men that I was like, "Oh, this move, this game is like the best thing ever." But <laughs> I mean, it's it's an LJN title, so yeah, that's that, thing right there. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, these are I I think it's interesting this week though because like we were talking about in the beginning of the episode, sort of this being the year of rentals. I I think that our our two un underappreciated games are both fit the category of solid rental. Yeah. You know, as far as that, uh, and that particular mark of quality, I guess, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, definitely. And, you know, Captain America, if, if you want to own a copy right now, um, I've seen it used in the wild, I think once or twice in the last couple of years. So it's floating around every now and then, and mm. that's maybe 20 bucks, I think. Yeah. So. And again, it's one of those ones that's due to licensing issues and stuff like that. You're, you're never going to see it re-released legitimately. Um, you know, it's just not, not possible. Right. So, uh, I don't know. It is what it is, I guess. Yeah. Data East does like to put their stuff back out, though. So they've... they do, but uh, I, I can't imagine, especially now, given the success of the Marvel franchise, I can't imagine that it would be worth Data East time and money to localize or to license it again because the cost has to be astronomical. Probably. To reobtain the license and the, you know, the sheer amount of, the cost of relicensing versus the few sales that they probably would get when there's now probably quite a few better superhero games out there. Um, I don't know. I think you're talking a very limited market, but luckily, like you said, the cartridge itself is pretty cheap. So right. that's not yep. too bad. Yep. Data, you still have to just stick with re-releasing caveman games. Well, you know, actually speaking of data East um, on the switch, I've noticed a lot of, um, they're putting out some more of their obscure arcade games now, which is kind of cool. Um, so there's, I mean, if you're into, you know, beat em ups and stuff like that, of like the late eighties, early nineties and stuff. Um, there's some under the banner of uh, Johnny Turbo's arcade out there and they're, they're putting out some pretty obscure games, which is kind of cool. So, uh, and also on the, uh, on the original Wii there's uh, it's kind of hard to find now, but if you can get a copy of data East classics, there's some really good games on there too. Yeah, just kind of depends, but I don't know. It's an interesting company. Um, you know, obviously, Data East being sort of famous for Burger Time, you know, but their games, I always kind of liked them, uh, most of their stuff, because they weren't really, like, high-budget games, but they weren't terrible either. They always kind of fell right in the middle for me a little bit. Yeah, that's, ex- that's exactly what they were, yep. Yeah, and it's like, I can appreciate them, like, I mean, as far as, like, what they were trying to go for. Um, you know, uh, I don't know, like bad dudes. I mean, obviously bad dudes in the arcade is great. The NAS version is really not good to play, but I can appreciate they tried to bring it there, but there was just too much sprite flicker and weird stuff going on to make it not really that fun. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. It's bizarre. So you got stuff like Karnov and, you know, two crude dudes and weird stuff like that. I don't know, but that's me. I like obscure, weird niche games. So, you know, to each their own. All right. So, I think that was a pretty good look at 1991. Um, again, you know, not 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 the best year for the NES, but uh, the two three years we've still got left. Uh, who knows? Maybe it's also not the worst. Well, you know, I don't know. I'm looking forward to uh, you know the next couple because obviously we've got a few more in the series that we're going to do. We've got. 92, 93, and, and I think we'll probably lump 94, 95 into one episode because there was one game that released in 95. But uh, um, it's going to be interesting, though, because you're going to see, you know, we're going to see some more games that push sort of the technical limits of the NES. We're also going to see a lot of PC ports. We're going to see some some junk. So um, either way, I'm excited to go back and revisit some of these and check out some stuff that, you know, I haven't played before. Right. So you get to, there's some really good ones in 92 though. And there's some junk, but 
we'll talk about that in a couple weeks. It'll be fun. So speaking of 92, uh, we got to do a uh, Graveyard Duck podcast challenge, don't we? We do. We do. Um, you know, there was a couple different ones that we were talking about for 92. Um, and I think you had kind of decided on uh, sort of been the deciding vote. So, uh, Scott, what did you pick for the challenge for 1992? Well, my, my, my thought process here was, you know, trying to maybe not alienate listeners or people who want to participate. And, you know, some of these games we've been picking are a little bit more obscure, harder to find, or yeah. just, just more time consuming to play. So we're, we're going to, we're going to try to be realistic here and keep things a little more simple, a little more accessible. So 92 had only a couple games that really fit the category for what we normally do for the challenge. Uh, and luckily one of them happens to be a game that I know is available on uh, virtual console for the Wii 3DS. And is also part of the new Nintendo switch NES uh, online library. So uh, very accessible here. And uh, yeah, we're going to be playing Yoshi. Mm-hmm. So that cute, cute, lovable little dinosaur um, stacks some eggs and makes some monsters somehow. However, that works. I don't know science, but yeah, yeah it's a it's a it's a fun puzzle game. You know, we were kind of looking at puzzle games to do, and the only couple ones that we could find in '92 were uh, Hatchers and Yoshi. And uh, you know, I think uh, I think Yoshi is probably the much more fun game to play, but. Uh, Interestingly enough um, about Yoshi is that it was actually developed by Game Freak, um, who had previously done uh, Mendel Palace, but is now more, much more famously known for the Pokemon franchise. So um, kind of interesting to see, you know, uh, a first party character such as Yoshi um, being not necessarily developed by Nintendo, but uh, published by Nintendo, obviously, but developed by Game Freak. So um, it's kind of cool, you know. So it's a neat puzzle game, um, you know, a little bit different than uh, some of the other ones because there's a lot of, you know, sort of rotating your um, columns of uh, characters and trying to, uh, aren't you trying to like keep them all in the eggs? Is that right? Yeah, when you get a bottom shell and a top shell, it'll they'll compress and make an egg, and you get yeah. points for it. Right. So all together, it's yeah, it's a little different. Um, it's kind of it's a fun puzzler though, so um, it should be should be a good time. So yeah. I think we're looking for what just a high score on this one. Yep, high score. Yeah, nice so, and simple. Yeah, so yeah, it'd be fun. I've played a little bit of this here and there um, on 3DS and stuff like that, but I haven't really spent a lot of time with it. So this would be fun to play. Yeah, another one that I rented, you know, at least a handful of times as a kid because it wasn't something that I was terribly interested in. But you know, funny little story was that my grandma, my aunt. Uh, both were big into puzzle games and both had NESs. And so like my grandma was amazing at Dr. Mario and Tetris and my aunt owned both of those. And I think she was a big fan of Wario's woods, but okay. uh, Yoshi was one that they wanted to rent one time because they thought Yoshi looked funny and realized it was a puzzle game. And mm-hmm. yeah, they played the living hell out of it. And it was so funny watching my grandma sit on the floor, play Yoshi for, right hours but that's, that's really cool though yeah that's neat so. yeah i always got yoshi confused with um the other one that came out in 92 yoshi's cookie which is another puzzle yeah yeah and that that one's much more similar to or i should say yoshi's cookie is is a kind of a game style that's 
pretty common today because I think that there's a lot of app games that follow that mm -hmm. same model of I think I, I believe it's basically the same as like Bejeweled and all of that where kind of you're kind yeah. of spinning the pieces. I, I have no idea, but yeah. So <laughs> yep. So Yoshi next week for the challenge. Be a good time. Um and yeah, then we'll be back in oh, about a week now. We're a little bit delayed with uh, a new episode. Yeah, that's all right. As long as uh, adult life doesn't get in the way too much, but uh, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully you stick with the show and uh, you know, just uh, be patient. You know, we'll have uh, new episodes coming out occasionally. So. All right. Well, if uh, our listeners are not sick of us yet and want to write into us and maybe give us some show suggestions, Wes, how do they do that? So we've got a couple different options. Um, obviously, we've got our Facebook group, um, Graveyard Duck Podcast. Um, we've got some good conversations and stuff going on there. Um, we're on Twitter at Duck Graveyard. Um, we're on Instagram as well, Graveyard Duck Podcast. And you can shoot us an email, graveyardduckpodcast at gmail.com. So um, any thoughts or memories you have of 1991 in gaming or just gaming in general, um, you know, we'd love to hear from you. We like doing the show. And, um, talking about our memories and if you know if you guys like to share your nostalgia as well we like to read about that too so um and if you enjoy the show you know by all means leave us a review on um your favorite podcast listening uh program whether it be apple Podcasts, google play or whatever um, that just helps us get noticed a little bit more and you know um keep doing the show because like i said we're not looking to make a profit or anything we enjoy doing what we do and we like to being able to uh reach out to more people absolutely so all right so uh well i think i'm gonna go trash out some worm games but um while i'm doing that uh yeah i'm scott and i'm wes and remember before you start to play please read the instruction booklet carefully and follow the correct operating procedures keep the instruction booklet safe for future references a stack of books in my safe deposit box at the bank not really i i don't but uh really just the manual the california games but you know, if somebody finds that in a hundred years, they're not going to know what the hell this guy was all about. So, you'll be, you'll be famous, right? <laughs>